When now, the... I just wanted everybody listening to know that literally Jonathan in the notes said, Eric, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, <laughs> but I know we need to at least touch on it. So I need to shut up on this one. And it's in bold and italics. So he might as well have just like he did at me. He said, Eric. So I'm, that's the last I'm going to say it because I got so many stories on these things. It's like I can't wait for my book deal. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school because my best days would be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad, but damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Hey, everyone! Welcome to another week of the Tension Podcast. We are a show that acknowledges most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. This is uh, maybe not my favorite. I don't know. Probably my favorite season so far. Political season was good, too, but we're teasing this uh, because this is this is going to be a really good episode. I can already, I can feel it. I can feel it. We're Doing some some scandal talk is always a good good time. I don't know how you're going to top your rant about the guy sitting watching the Barbie movie while drinking his Bud Light from last week. I don't know if that's possible. I feel like I just block, blacked out. I mean, we like I was looking at the notes and you had lined it up so well on the different things that got boycotted, and like I just I just kind of blacked out for a second. And then I came, came to again and it was like, you were laughing. I was laughing. So I had someone so ask how many takes that took. And when I told them none, uh, they were, or one <laughs> that you did it on the fly. It was not scripted. They could not believe that. They said it felt like an SNL sketch. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, well, I've told people a lot. Like I, I can't think of things too much because it's like the first thing that comes out of my mouth is usually the best. The more I think about it, the worse it's going to get. So the first idea is the, the best idea you're getting. Well, before we get into those best ideas, let me go ahead and give you the thing that we've been talking about every week. So in two weeks, uh, on October the 23rd, we are going to be having a mailbag Q&A uh, that day. That's all about this culture war idea we've been talking about this season. We're going to record that like the Friday before on October 20th. So we need your questions in by Thursday, October 19th, if you have any that you want us to tackle on that episode. You can send them to hello at tensionpodcast.com or you can send them to, on social to either one of us. Eric is at EricW712 on Instagram and I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on there as well. So without that out of the way, let's jump in straight into today and what we're talking about because today we are talking about scandals, cover-ups, and church failures. Um, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> One of the reasons we've lost our credibility in our society, as we talked about last week, the society just doesn't care about us anymore. We're no longer credible in their minds. And that's part of the reason, one of the reasons is because we've covered up so many terrible things inside the church. And you're probably thinking of scandals in your mind right now, and that's what we're talking about today. But here's the thing. There have been plenty of podcasts and plenty of documentaries talking about the actual scandals and the fallout from them. They're everywhere. You've probably listened to them. Maybe you're burned out on them. Maybe you want more of them. But today, we're not going to live in that type of disaster porn. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the why and the how behind how those cover-ups happen. Why do people who are seemingly good 
make decisions to cover up things that they know are wrong. I don't think I've seen that side of things talked about. So today we're not necessarily solving a problem as it, much as we are taking a look from people who have been inside the mega church and saying, hey, here's how this happens from a logistical and practical standpoint. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned from a mega church and all the what we put in the notes are definitely things are like that make national news. But what surprises me as well is, I mean, especially as someone who used to work in mega churches or, you know, like mid-size level mega churches. Is like when the Mars Hill podcast documentary thing comes out, when anything comes out about Jerry Falwell Jr. or, you know, the Duggars or anything else like that, it's amazing how many times when that's brought up where I hear people say, oh, yeah, the same type of thing happened at my church or sounds a lot of like 12 people I used to go to. Of, yeah, of 12 people, of like four families, you know, and like and what's sad is like, oh, yeah, my my great uncle, that was him. You know what I mean? And it's like they they're talking about. It. So it's not just the mega church, mega pastors, not the people that are going on the book tours and doing the speaking engagements and, you know, and putting, putting the, uh, the giant slip and slides in their sanctuaries as baptismals. Like it's, it's your every single, every single person I think has been, maybe it's the wrong way to say it has been touched in some way. <laughs> <laughs> wrong way to say it. Absolutely. Has, has yeah. been, has been impacted in some way by a church scandal or a, or a cover up. Yeah, I would say the four things we're going to talk about today are things that can happen no matter the size of the church. They are very, they're just normal, natural things that we'll talk about it towards the end. Like on their own, none of these things are bad, but when you focus mm -hmm. too much on them, when you go too much that side, they end up in bad results. And one thing I want to say very clearly before we get into this, because I don't want things taken the wrong way. We're going to talk about what happened and how it happened. And what we're going to talk about is not to be used to justify or excuse what happened. We're not going to, we're not saying, oh, this is the reason why. So they should be okay. Like we shouldn't hold them to a higher standard. Or anything like that. No, what happened in any of these scandals or any of these cover up, they were wrong. They were sinful and they were anti-Christ. Yep. Just, I want to get that out there to you on the front end so that nothing can be taken the wrong way. I know I can't predict how you're going to hear what we're going, going to say, but our heart behind this is not to let someone off the hook, but rather to explain right. how these things happen. So if you're in a position in the future where you see these things happening, the little warning bells can start going off in your mind and you can know what's happening before you get to the place where, oh crap, the church I'm at is about to blow up because these things have been happening. Right. Yeah, exactly. It should give you some red flags, at least some yellow flags. And that, you know, I, I know we still have a good amount of people that um, were started listening to us because they were in ministry or are in ministry. Um, and so this is another way, like if you are either leading a ministry, um, if you're in some some spot in the organization where you have any level of influence or any any ability to see things from that perspective, hopefully this will give you a good warning signal on the front end. All right, so let's jump in. We've got four things we're going to hit on today, four ways, four reasons why these things happen. The first one we've already hit on a little bit this season, but when we seek cultural influence over the quiet kindness of Jesus, 
we will do whatever it takes to stay in the limelight. Yeah, this is this is uh, an interesting way to put that too. It's like the idea of protecting protecting the church as a five hundred one c three, protecting the church as an organization, protecting the church of what we uh, what we see it in the modern context, as opposed to the I don't know I don't want to be cliche, but the capital C church, you know, the gathering of believers. I think we get those mixed up, and so that's that's when I when I think about this factor in particular and as always trying to give people the benefit of the doubt like where where does this happen when we have these scandals um and and if i'm thinking like where can i think back to why would a rational person start to make these decisions or start to cover up things this way it's because some way in their mind they are trying to protect uh the church the issue is the influence get, of the church yeah but the issue is they get it confused where it's like i'm protecting the church but it turns into I'm protecting the church as our institution, as opposed to I'm protecting the church as in our body of believers. Yep. If we go to the mega church side of things, because those are the scandals most of you have heard about, Mars Hill, they were obsessed with growing and influencing the culture around them. Hillsong, they became a global church outside of just their area in Australia so they could create a bigger cultural influence. The reason you have Hillsong Worship and Hillsong United, Hillsong Young and Free and Hillsong Chapel and all these blah, 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 is because they want to influence the culture through music. If you look at Harvest Bible, that's another one that uh, a couple people listening to this are going to have cold chills go through their spine when they hear that name out of, out of the blue. But they're, uh -huh. they were an example of an organizational culture that brazenly attacked society to make an impact and influence things in the opposite direction. Their goal explicitly was to impact the culture around us, which on its own, like with all of these things, on its own, impacting culture is not a bad thing. But when we seek the influence over being the quote-unquote hands and feet of Jesus and caring for those he told us to care about, then that's when things go too far. But it's almost like you you end up like, believing your own hype, you know, because I, I would say, especially um, in the two mega churches I've worked for, the the leadership involved, whether it's lead pastors or executive team, you know, it's like on a base level, I see where their heart is or any bad decisions made. It's like I see their heart. And when those bad decisions were made or when those decisions were made to cover up things that shouldn't have been covered up or when those decisions were made to you know, cut ties with things that shouldn't have been cut ties to or run away from a cultural issue that should have been talked about, you know, any of that stuff. I'm not talking big scandal even, but just like in general, that that uh, like lean towards protection for the church as opposed to leaning into what we've been called to do is the gospel. It There is a bit of either justification over believing their own hype, you know, hey, we, we got to the God has grown us to this point. We must be doing something right. Uh, or we're doing so much good, or like we talked about last week, we're giving so much money away in third world countries. Look at all the mission work we're doing. Look at all the other churches we're helping. There's this like justification over these things that either allows you to go too far in one area, allows you to kind of cut corners, allows you to be, um, you know, proactively engaged in these, these sort of negative scandals, cover-ups, whatever, or reactionary over oh we shouldn't talk about that 
you know, oh, Ahmad Arbery happens and it's like, no, we, we can't talk about that. You know, oh, it's like now BLM, we can't talk about that. There's all these things that like now I'm, I'm going to cover up on not even like cover up a scandal, but I'm going to cover up and not speak out in an area that I need to speak out into. And it's like, ah, you've either gotten you've either believed your own hype so much that it's justifying bad proactive actions or you are now gun shy, so to speak, um, and you are not saying and stepping into the things that you should because you're afraid of uh, losing attendance or you're afraid of pissing off donors or you're afraid of whatever else. Which is your cultural influence in your eyes because yep. we wrap it up in like the people who, what, what people think about us. And so if the people we're wanting to reach don't like what we're saying, we're going to cover up our opinions and not talk about it. Yep. Yep. I mean, I remember specifically, you know, I was in, I was managing social media and I was the one that was responding to all the comments and um, there was a comment on one of the social media channels and it was kind of in the last, I don't know. I don't really want to make it super specific, but, regarding regarding racial tension and it was a comment from someone that was on the outside as far as what the racial norm was in the church circle and they said uh my spouse and i don't feel safe here because of these things that were said or these things that weren't said and that was you know a review or a comment or whatever and i remember there, there was like a, an actual conversation back and forth with the leadership of this church of like how we should respond to that um, and the justification over, you know, some of the things that, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I could type that up. And I had to go through and say, here's a better way to empathize with people because they're actually feeling unsafe as a minority group. And it's because of the actions that we are taking or not taking as a church and to downplay or dismiss those things is like, you are trying to protect your squeaky clean image, you know, uh, pun intended, whitewashing mm -hmm. the church as opposed to stepping in and figuring out like sometimes it's okay to take a, you know, quote unquote reputation hit to empathize and to admit where maybe we need to do better to step forward. When now, the... I just want everybody listening to know that literally Jonathan in the notes said, Eric, I don't want to spend a ton of time <laughs> on this, but I know we need to at least touch on it. So I need to <laughs> shut up on this one. And it's in bold and italics. So you might as well have just like he did at me he said eric so I'm, that's the last i'm gonna say it because i got so many stories on these things it's like i can't wait for my book deal let me sum it up this way when the goal is to win the culture to protect our influence instead of serve the people there is a tendency to not care who gets run over in the process of taking over the culture your yep, story 100%. totally totally backs that idea up because it's it's okay to run people over and make them not feel safe if we're yep. making the influence that we think we should be making. Who cares if someone yeah. that's hurt doesn't feel safe here? But yeah. But and uh, last thing, I'm promise. It's either it it doesn't matter who we run over as the church, or it doesn't matter who we are watching. Almost like the the story of the Good Samaritan, like we're watching that person getting run over in society, and we're just passing along on the other. We cross the street and pass along on the other side. Okay, we could stay there forever, but we've hit on that a few episodes. So I do want to get to the other three if I'm playing traffic up here. The second way that cover-ups happen. Cover-ups happen when we prioritize a salvation focus solely on eternity 
over a salvation of reconciling people back to God in our present lives. I saw a TikTok here uh, recently, and it was an atheist. Um, and the atheist was talking about, I think, responding to a question that said, what would happen if you die and you see Jesus and you realize, like, that it was, you were wrong, you know? And I love her response because she said, like, Christians and especially like conservative evangelical Christians are so preoccupied with getting it right when we die. So preoccupied with that, that we completely miss everything else. And it's like, it throws this idea of like, we want to see, I told you so moment. It's like, it's so rage filled. And you're just like, we gotta get to heaven. And I had it. It's it's, I gotta be right about this. And all of you who were wrong or all of you who weren't living right, you're going to get yours and everything else like that. And like, it's because we put that priority on eternal salvation, as opposed to meeting the needs of people right here and now. And so this, this point is such a, once you start either, once you start buying into your own hype, and then once you start taking this command and taking this idea of getting into heaven and completely over prioritizing it, th those two things married together, uh, make one ugly baby. All right. Yeah. One ugly, you know, the babies, the ones who are like your coworker <laughs> or your friend or whatever, they show you like, oh, this is our little one, whatever. So cute. And everybody on Facebook is posting how my cute daughter looks like squeeze their little, Yeah. Squeeze their little toe beans or whatever garbage that people say. But it's like, no, that's a wrinkly headed looking Yoda thing that was like, send that thing back. That thing needs some more time to cook. I mean, it, like if you had a, if you baked something, you pulled that out, you know, are you barbecuing? You, uh, you open up that smoker. Like, this thing needs some more time to settle. I think looks like a raisin, like a California raisin. One of the, you know, just got squeezed through a funnel. Like blech. that's what, that's what happens when we end up making that baby of our church is important. And we have this like, you know, edict from God to get everybody into heaven. Well, when our primary focus as a church is only on getting people into heaven, we will justify and we will excuse things that hurt people here on earth. I mean, if you just yep. think about it. Think of all the podcasts you listen to describing these churches and these scandals. At some point, someone on the episode said, we were making such a big impact growing the kingdom that we couldn't even imagine yep. these things were going on under the surface. Yep, yep, yep. People were getting baptized. You know, we were having decisions for Christ. All these things like money was being given, churches were being built. You hear it. There's this momentum of numbers, which like I understand, you know, as a as a guy, whether you want to go, you know, Gallup Strengths Finder as an achiever or, you know, in Enneagram three, like I like to attach numbers and stats and KPIs to what we're doing. And so when I came from corporate into the church, it was kind of difficult. But then you start pointing, and you go, look at the numbers, look at the attendance numbers, look at the giving numbers, look at the baptism numbers. We must be doing something right. And then, you know, Acts two starts going, oh, you know, well. We're, we're adding to the, their number every single day. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's how they judged whether or not the early church was doing it right. So we must be doing things right. Therefore, God has blessed it all. And it's like, it's not an all or nothing thing here. There's nuance in the way that's happening. And maybe, you know, large numerical growth could be hiding some of the festering wound on the inside. Most of us who grew up in evangelical spaces. We grew up in churches where the primary focus was on avoiding hell and going to heaven. 
Like our first ever yeah. episode of this podcast was called stop, drop and roll. Don't work in hell. Because we talked about all, like the, that fear-based salvation so that you can avoid hell and go to heaven. And so that's what most of us were taught. And that's what most of us, if we're honest, we're still around that in most of these churches. It's all about yeah. saving souls from hell, taking them from the devil so they can go to heaven. Uh, yeah. What was it? Uh, uh, it was, uh, what, there was a couple of lines that I've, that I've heard from churches that I've actually worked for. It's um, every, every there, everyone goes, uh, you know, heaven and hell are real places and everyone goes to one place or the other when they die. It's like, and it's our job to, what was it? Plunder hell and populate heaven or something like that. It's like, First of all, theologically, that doesn't work. Like you can't like go into, you know, we're not like Greek mythology going into <laughs> Hades and, you know, fighting with the. We had a church in Tennessee, a, a large mega church, uh, multi-campus. They had a saying that said they wanted to make it hard to go to hell in East Tennessee. Yep. That was like their yep. stated mission. And yeah, and it's like, that's. If we're being honest too, I bet a lot of people who grew up in the church, the reason why you said the sinner's prayer or gave your life to Christ, whatever you want, you know, whatever conversion experience you had was because of a fear uh, of going to hell. And in fact, uh, my own, my youngest son, you know, he, he, uh, what did he say? He said he had a nightmare. It was a couple of weeks ago. He said his, his nightmare was revolved around either me or my wife uh, not loving Jesus anymore and going to hell. It's like, uh, uh, people, people, this is trauma. Like that's a traumatic response to things when we have traumatized people because we put such an emphasis on heaven or hell. Because salvation to avoid hell and go to heaven is only part of the salvation story. Like, I don't want to minimize as that as being part of the game, but I hate even saying game. I should have said that, but as part of the issue, but, but it's only part of it. N.T. Wright, yep. who is a hopeful friend of the show, he writes, salvation then is not going to heaven, but being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. Yeah. So when we focus solely or even primarily on getting people into heaven, we're going to justify or look away when bad things are happening if we see what we think is good fruit because people are coming to Jesus. But our job here on earth of making disciples of all the nations is not just handing out fire insurance that people can avoid hell. It's making disciples of people and being in the hands and feet of Jesus and being part of that righteousness here on earth to help restore things back to the way that they were supposed to be knowing it's not going to, it's not going to be fully finished anytime soon, but we still have to do the work of letting people understand what life with Jesus can and should look like here on earth, not just in heaven. Yep. Yeah. And, and the, the justification uh, line that you get from people sometimes, or at least this is the, this is the, uh, this is the underlying thing that's not said is at least they're going to go to heaven at it's that at least mindset. And I want to go like, I, mean, I don't want to get into Sunday preacher voice, but it's like a 
Uh, well, I almost did a second ago, but I had to take some water because I, does, I got a little that's going right, there. That's right. Does does God want you to have an at least mindset, or does God want you to have an at most mindset, an abundance mindset? Like, yeah, you should not be justifying what we do as the church with an at least we're this, or at least we're doing this, or because that like you're literally saying the least we can do is this, and it's like if if you're judging everything based on the least that you can do, it's like oh well, what more could you have done? What more should you have done? Where should our focus be instead of, well, I know these things happen, but, you know, at least they're going to heaven. Uh, stop. I know that person was traumatized by the way we treated them and they hate Christians because of it. And they think Jesus is crap. But, hey, three people came to Jesus, so it was all worth it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and that and then and then what do you say when you look the people in the eye? You know, when we talk about some of these scandals and cover ups. Is like, okay, so for Mars Hill, where are there probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who whose lives were immeasurably changed for the positive uh, because of Mars Hill's ministry? Uh, yeah. Are there other churches and ministries that were blessed by that, by, you know, by um, Mars Hill and, the, and some of the, you know, parachurch organizations that they helped create? Yes. But when you justify the scandal, the cover-up, the everything else that happened in front of victims, you're essentially saying, well, I mean, like, like what you said before, like, uh, we don't care. We don't care who's, who's getting rolled over. What, what was your line exactly? It's like, we don't care well, who's it getting was run the, over in, the pro, in the process. That's not my line. That's Mark Driscoll's line. He's the one who said that, that he would run over people yeah. with the bus because he knew where he was going to do it. So let me, let me bring this up. Um, and this is in our notes. So, I mean, you know, here we go. Uh, there's on Annie. <laughs> I'm not recommending this to all of you good Christians, by the way, but just in case, like, you know, if you want to say like Eric's a sinner, great. Yeah, of course. Uh, there is a, um, a documentary series on Annie, which is like outlines the scandals of playboy. Okay. So, uh, as a red blooded American male who grew up in the eighties and nineties, like, you know, I was watching this thing going, wow, this is amazing. And this is part of the thing, too, where at the very end of this thing on A&E, what's great uh, is, first of all, they're talking about all the like terrible things that Hugh Hefner did and all the terrible things that happened in, you know, in, in, in this process. But they actually got a quote from Playboy. And I should probably get it and read it and actually put it in there. But what I love is at the end, they are like, we acknowledge and believe the stories of those who have been abused and those who have been hurt. Like, what? The organization put that statement out there and says, we acknowledge and we believe those things. Um, and, you know, they go on to say, like, uh, although we're proud of the work that we've that we've done over the years for this and that and the other, um, you know, this this aspect we don't agree with anymore. And the and none of the Hefner family um, are, you know, affiliated with the uh, with the company anymore. And I was like, if a secular ass company like Playboy can at least get it a little bit right that the new owners come in and go, Hey, we had some scandals here and they were really bad. And guess what? We believe the people who have come out with these allegations and we don't think it's right anymore. And you know, all of these things, it's like, we can say that two things can exist where we, we believe that we're doing things that are beneficial for our organization. We also believe that the things that have been done were bad. It's like anytime, I'm not saying they're perfect and I'm not saying like, Oh great. Well now let's ring the bell for playboy. And they're a your great church should be like playboy. Here's the three reasons. Yeah. Why. Your church should, your church should be like playboy. Well, I'll tell you what, Jonathan, 
That'd be a good blog Jonathan, post. You'd get a lot of tra- yeah, traction on that. They, yeah, exactly. Talk about clickbait. See if we can get uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie Beowulf. Beowulf on to talk about that. Uh, no, but like watching it uh, outside of the outright illicit sex, um, I see a lot of a lot of similarities between megachurch pastors who are covering things up and all of the path that they follow. And Hugh Hefner. The difference the was Playboy, him. it was in the goal of making money. And mm-hmm. the they churches. Didn't, they didn't pretend like they were the church. Yeah, that's exactly right. Churches, like, it was in the name Christian. of saving souls. So the yeah. goals were different. But when mm-hmm. we get our priority wrong of this is what we're going after and we're willing to run over whoever we need to run over to get to that priority, then that's when we're will. That's when. Good people, seemingly good people will make the decision to go along with the ruse and cover up or not speak out because the ultimate goal is being achieved. Moving on. The next thing of our four, the third cover-ups happen when we focus on the charisma of a person more than the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest lines in all of these scandals whether it's on the big stage of a mega church or on the small stage of your local rural church is a culture built around the personality, the skill set, and the charisma of a single leader. We see it all the time. I'm sure as you're listening to this, a church is coming to your mind right now where it was built around the leader pastor guy who's on stage all the time. When a church is built around a leader, we often trust that leader to be the sole or primary interpretation of the Holy Spirit instead of trusting the Holy Spirit itself. And you see this a lot in the honor culture world of the church. This came into light a ton about, uh, I want to say 2010, 2012, coming out of Bethel. There was a book written there and um, because Bethel was so influential at the time. Uh, a lot of people started picking up. But if you don't know what this honor culture thing is, it's a culture within the church that says the lead pastor is to be honored above all within the church because he or she is chosen and set apart by God to lead the church. It's their word above all else. That's something that I completely agree with is like, you've got way too many people that their charisma or their ability to speak from the stage or the pulpit or whatever you want to call it, all of a sudden grants them some uh, supernatural leadership ability. When I can tell you for a fact that there are great speakers out there that could not lead an organization and they think that they can because they have the charisma that people will listen to them and will follow them. There is a difference between motivating people to do things and to follow and actually being a leader who is building something. And so if your primary, and, th- and then the other thing is like, you got this idea where there, you know, it's like, Oh, I got 35, 40, 50, 60 hours of sermon prep. It's like, when are you leading your organization? Maybe that's why there's so many scandals going on because you're not actually leading the organization and pastoring the organization. So there's a flip side to that as well. The church is the only place where the person who can communicate well is automatically given the leadership of the entire organization. And because we have these verses that do say that a pastor or a minister should be respected and honored, 
like you're able to pull some of this stuff out. But what ends up happening is we elevate this person. You see it in scripture going back to freaking Mount Sinai, where it's like they want to, to make these idols because they feel like that's their way to get closer to God. And we want to make these idols out of these pastors or flip side, the narcissist has entered the church and is leading and is requiring everyone else around to acknowledge them in this way. And what ends up happening is in these cultures, the growth, the health, and the impact of the church is fully dependent on the leader of the church, the the main pastor, the lead pastor, whatever you want to call him. And because of that, when that leader makes a mistake, whether on accident or they do something wrong by design, it's nearly impossible for the church to consider removing him from his position because his status and their success is based on that one guy. Yep. Well, and then think about it. Like if you name your ministry, Ravi Zacharias Ministries, <laughs> and then bad stuff comes out about Ravi Zacharias, what are you going to do? You know, like now you're stuck. So you have to cover it up. Uh, yeah, you have. I mean, like you, if you want the, the organization to continue, you have to make that decision. It's either protect the organization or potentially, you know, quote unquote, do the right thing morally, but now risk all these other things. Cause it, I also empathize on the other side. It's like, um, if you have hundreds or thousands of people employed by an organization or, you know, uh, hundreds or thousands of ministries, depending on your donations, at some point you're like, ah, I mean, I, there is a, there it's, it's the old, like what train conductor, uh, uh, dilemma, you know, it's like, do you run over this thing or do you run over that thing? Because the people who, you know, and I'm sure people on the other side would, would disagree and go like, well, nobody is, you know, nobody's innocent because everybody's complicit in the problem. Like, okay, great. Yeah. Like, but, but like, let's, let's empathize person making the decision to go, do we cover this up and do we accept hurt from one to two to maybe a dozen different people to save hundreds if not thousands of jobs and donations to ministries that are have exponential impacts around the world or do we burn <laughs> essentially like in their mind do we burn it all down that's like oof well we'll get to that self-preservation in a minute but if you think about it spiritually and psychologically the only reason that is a question is because we don't trust the Holy Spirit and Jesus to build the church. If we truly trusted when Jesus said, this is my church, I'm going to build it and nothing will knock it down. Nothing will come in between that. If we truly trusted that and we truly Not trusted even the that gates the Holy of hell. Spirit, if we truly trusted that the Holy Spirit would guide us to where we need to go, then we wouldn't have to be so reliant on a person at the head of this. And we could say, no, sorry, you have disqualified yourself for a season or forever. We're going to remove you and we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do what it needs to do to continue building the church. Yep. yep. But the Holy Spirit 
cannot be seen, cannot mm. be like, cannot be physically heard or physically felt in terms of like a touch way, like with hands and feet and eyes. It's an internal thing that we experience. So we don't understand it and it's hard to follow it and it's hard to trust it. A person in front of us, we see that charisma. We see that intellect. We see that teaching ability and we see the fruit of it. So it's easier to trust that and to, tr to put our faith in a person as opposed to putting our faith in the Holy Spirit. And when that gets out of whack, that's when we make these justifications of like, well, I mean, if we're, if, if Eric, if we really bring this up and we have to change him and take him out, like our attendance, we know it's going to drop 25% the first yep. week and our giving's probably going to go uh -huh. down by about 50%. But I mean, I even think mm. of, um, I'll put them on blast here. Cross point church in Nashville. Mm. When Pete Wilson left. Pete Wilson framed his leaving as him being tired and that he could not lead the church because he was so exhausted. And, and when he left, I remember cheering that on as a pastor saying that I, a pastor being willing to admit that and step down was, was a beautiful thing to see inside a church. What really happened was he'd been having an affair for a while and he ended up divorcing his wife and marrying the secretary he'd been having an affair with. Hmm. No wonder you're tired, their, Pete. <laughs> their you church ain't so lost much a sleep when you be cheating on your wife. They lost a significant amount of money and people over the course of Pete leaving from a from what seemed like a good thing publicly at the time. I know people in the background knew what was going on, but even when someone stepped down saying the right things, even though they were covering something up we saw a negative impact from that. So it's easy to think, and I'll, this will lead us into our next idea. Cover-ups happen when we focus on self-preservation over God's provision. Because if we bring the guy out, if we remove him, someone's going to lose their job. If we honor Jesus by pulling someone who has disqualified themselves out of the ministry, when that person was a very strong contributor to the ministry, it's going to hurt us. It, giving's going to go down. People are not going to show up. Volunteers are going to go down. So people are going to lose their job. And because of that, we're not going to be able to make the bigger impact for the kingdom that we've been doing. So we need to preserve what's going on instead of doing the hard thing of reporting and making a change. Yep. Yep. And it comes down to that, that, faith and trust, you know, and I, I think we, we mentioned it last week on that quote from Paul Tillich is like the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. And when you go back, you're like, well, I don't know what's going to happen if we, you know, do the right thing morally and have him step, step down and do that. Well, uh, I do know what will happen. I do know that we will lose these. I'm certain that these things will happen. It's like, man, uh, maybe, maybe God hasn't called you to a life of continually building a successful ministry. Maybe God has called you to a spot where you need to be the one to make the right and tough decision there when it, uh, when it's needed to protect your flock. So to, to get into some of these Christian cliches, it's like maybe the most Christian thing that you can do, the most faithful thing you can do is make that tough decision to help a leader pastor step down for the betterment of their own personal walk with Jesus, regardless of how 
negatively it might, you know, impact the 501c3 organization. This, I mean, the, the last two points kind of go hand in hand. When we trust in a person over the Holy Spirit, and when we trust our own self-provision, preservation over God's provision, then we're going to justify a lot of stuff. And I am not excusing anyone by doing that, but I get it. I understand how tempting it is to choke down what you know is right in the name of my kids need health insurance. My, my family needs this job. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Like it's a very human thing to do and it does not justify it. It does not excuse it. I'm going to say that over and over because I don't want people to think that, but I understand from a human being standpoint, how that happens, how good people inside these organizations don't do the quote unquote right thing when they know something wrong is going on. I'm not talking about the leader who did the wrong thing. I'm talking about the people who were complicit in the cover up and who didn't actually report it or actively sought to cover it up. I understand how that happens, even though it's 100% wrong. Yeah. And it, uh, it goes back to some of these things. I'm like, I don't think our lives are built in black and white. You know, we're, we're not a situation where everything is right or everything is wrong. You know, there are certain aspects of right, certain aspects of wrong. And every decision is going to have consequences one way or the other. And I think, like, the more that we can accept that there will be consequences and just understand that you know, there are ramifications to, you know, every, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And, you know, it's like some of them some point you got to think through what that long-term benefit or reaction is going to be and it goes back to you know point what, what did we say point one point about no point two point one anyway you know you're like well in the end heaven blah 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 it's like no what about right now what about your heart right now what about the you know your your action right now what about the people that are suffering in front of you right now got to make those choices yeah, none of these things on their own are inherently bad. Having a desire to influence our culture, it's not bad. Wanting people to go to heaven, not bad. Following a leader who is called by God and trusting in their leadership, it's not bad. And feeling a desire and a calling to care for your family and focus on that, it's not bad. But when any of these things become our primary focus, when the tension is pulled too far to that end, bad things happen. When we are no longer trusting on God and trusting on the Holy Spirit, bad things happen. So moving forward as a church and moving forward as people who are inside the church, let's influence the culture around us by serving those God puts in our path. Let's tell them the beauty of heaven while also seeking the righteousness of Jesus here on earth and join him in working to reconcile everything back to the father. Let's follow and support our pastor or pastors, but let's make sure that he or she has biblical accountability 
and systems in place to both protect them and protect the church. If we're in a church that doesn't have that, that's an issue. And let's seek to provide for our families while recognizing that ultimately God's in control and he's not going to let us flounder if we speak up in the protection of his people. Uh, Also, this sucks to hear, but if you read through any of the stories in the Bible, and so many times when we want to put ourselves in the hero spot and substitute in, well, guess what? There were a bunch of people that we consider to be heroes of the faith um, that things didn't end well for them. And I think it's important in these situations to always remind myself that, like, God does not call us to a life of comfort, to a life where everything is going to be comfortable and everything's going to be okay in that aspect. And so it's like, like I said, maybe the calling that he has on your life is to be the person that speaks up, is to be the person that life doesn't work out so well for them in this world. But if we're so focused on that heaven piece, it's, it's just such a weird mix of not, not believing that heaven is so important that we can stand up for the right things now, even if that makes our, you know, even if that sacrifices our health insurance or our job or our standing. But at the same time, then we're going to, we're going to do so many things in justification for that heaven peace. It's like, God, God may not call you to have a perfect, comfortable life. He might call you to be more faithful in the moment. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, Sometimes we're so emotionally invested in our own life, we don't see what God's trying to do. And I think that's the case for some of these people on these church staffs, that they were so emotionally invested in their own life that they didn't see that God was trying to use them to shine a light on things that were hurting his people. And my hope for us all moving forward is that despite being emotionally invested in our own lives, if we see something going on that is wrong, that we will do the hard thing of stepping up to fix it or to shine a light on it. And for those of you who are on church staffs who are listening to this right now, my hope and my prayer for you, first off, is that you're in a healthy church, that you're in a ministry that is healthy. But I know that's not all of you. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you can have a Holy Spirit dependent courage to speak up for those who may be getting hurt by the things happening that are unhealthy in your church. They may be small. They may be big. I don't know your situation, but Jesus cares just as much about what people experience here on earth as he does them getting to heaven. And it's up to us to protect each other and to do the hard things so that these scandals, these cover-ups, and these church failures don't continue happening. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going to continue looking at some of these scandals and try to answer the question, what do we do with the good things that came out of these bad churches? If you want to send a question for our mailbag, Uh, It's coming out in two weeks. Please get those to us by October 19th. 
You can send them to us on social. Eric is at Eric W712 on all the major platforms. I'm at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. Or you can email them to hello at tensionpodcast.com. If you like the show, do us a favor and rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend or a pastor if you found it interesting and helpful. As always, thanks for making us a part of your day, and we'll talk to you again next week. Cool.